Glad you guys are here. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 26. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. A couple of announcements before we jump in. One, uh, Christina mentioned in the video announcements, we're moving prayer to Tuesday mornings. So Tuesdays moving forward from 7 to 7.30, we'll have prayer in here. I know for some of you there is no worse time of the day than 7 in the morning. It's awful. So here's what we're doing because we are nothing if not tech savvy. Here's what we're doing. There's this, uh, do you have that screenshot? No, you're not. See, we're not tech savvy because I didn't give him the screenshot beforehand. What I have is a sheet of paper that you can't read from where you're seated. Uh, we've got a way that you can sign up for these text alerts that we'll send out at 7 on Tuesday and it'll let you know what we're praying for. You can grab those uh, in the Welcome Center on your way out. They'll be in the newsletter, the little e-newsletter that comes out this week. And you can sign up and you'll get a text on your phone from whoever's leading that day. And it'll just say, here's what we're praying for. If you can't be here, we would love for you to pray wherever you are at some point between 7 and 7.30 and just hit whatever that one or two bullet points are that we send to you. And so again, you can sign up for that. You can grab the sheet on your way out. Second thing, uh, small groups, we're moving in the direction of small groups. Uh, They all will start... They will all begin mid-August, mid-September, mid-August, I think, for the kids, a little bit later. For the adults, what we're looking for in small group leaders, obviously we want you to love God, we want you to love people. The heart we're looking for is a shepherd's heart or a pastor's heart. You actually want to be around people. You want to help see people grow. That type of heart is what we're looking for from small group leaders. It's not necessarily a teaching role. If you're more of a teacher, you you may be able to fit as a small group leader, but you're not going to get... 30 minutes to tell everybody the things that you know. There's some other opportunities. for, And I'm not knocking teachers. It's just not necessarily what we do with our small groups. It's much more oriented with our children and with our adults around helping people learn uh, what God is saying to them and to apply that to their lives versus us uh, as teachers kind of uh, giving them knowledge. So if you're interested, adults will have a, a brief, orientation with our small group ministry elders on August the 3rd. It'll be after this service right over here in this youth room. So if you're at all interested, if the idea of a small group leader piques your interest at all, you can just slip right over to this room at 1030 and a couple of our elders will be there and they can walk you through some of what it looks like for you to say yes. For adults, we're hoping for a minimum of 25 small groups. So that's 25 leaders that we need. For kids, I think Uh, Penny has a list of what she needs. She needs 23 small group leaders, and you can see how she has it broken down from uh, 4K kindergarten, first and second grade. Then she's got, she divides by gender once they get to the third uh, through fifth grade. Same heart that we're looking for for adult small group leaders, we're looking for for children's small group leaders, and this is a year-long commitment. Both of those things uh, are, are commitments. Our adult small groups, some of them run for a semester, Uh, Most of them run for a year. All of our children's small groups run uh, for the school year. So you can see Penny or you can see me if you have any questions about uh, moving in the direction of small group leadership. Okay, Genesis 26. We're going to talk about fathers and sons. It's not a parenting message, but that's the, um, the theme here. Let me see if I can find this. I saw this this morning. It was interesting. According to the BBC's Andrew Cotter... Ten years ago, Rory McIlroy's father, do you all know who he is? He's a golfer. He's leading the British Open. That's one of the four majors in golf. He's leading by six strokes, which is a ton. He could lose 
but the wheels would have to, it would be epic for him to lose. Uh, I think his, his name is Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, I guess that's Jerry, and three friends, so ten years ago, Jerry, who's Rory's father, and his three friends made a legal bet of 400 British pounds each. So 400 British pounds, that's 100 pounds each, that's equivalent to $170.87. That the then 15-year-old would win the British Open by the age of 26. So when he's 15, his dad and three of his dad's friends each bet 100 pounds that Rory is going to win this Open Championship, British Open, by the time he's 26. On Sunday, the Northern Irishman, that's Rory, will be 25 years, 2 months, and 16 days, meaning his father and friends would collect, get this, 200,000 pounds. That's roughly $341,730 that they will be getting. Though the bet actually stipulated blah, 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 doesn't matter. He, he meets it. So just to confirm, 10 years ago, Gary McElroy and three friends put 400 pounds at 500 to 1 odds on his 15-year-old son to win the British Open before he turns 26. A little bit of pressure on Rory. Not really. He's got pressure for other reasons. Fathers and sons. Today we're going to look at Isaac. Isaac gets very little attention in the Bible. He's a transitional figure between his father Abraham and his son Jacob. And really the point of the author, Moses, who wrote Genesis, is to say Isaac is like his dad. And what we're going to look at today, it's going to sound like a repeat of the things that we looked at when we were walking through Abraham's life for that six or eight weeks. Isaac really is just a snapshot. Here's your dad, and then Isaac lives almost the exact same life that his dad lives as a way of saying, I think, God is with him as well, like father, like son. So we'll start in chapter 26, verse 1. This story will sound familiar to you. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. Excuse me. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife, shall surely be put to death. That sounds a lot like his father, doesn't it? Same situation happened for Abraham. This is a like father, like son moment for Isaac. There's a famine. When there's a famine, people head to Egypt because of the Nile River. It's, it helps mitigate some of the um, consequences of drought. So Isaac is moving in that direction. God appears and says, stay. There's no reason in the world for him to stay. There's a famine. 
But in faith, he says, okay, I'm going to stay. And we'll look and see how that paid off for him in the next section. But out of obedience to God, he stays. God reiterates, confirms all of the promises he made to his father. He makes the same promises to Abraham or to Isaac. And then Isaac gets in this situation with Abimelech. Now, you may remember Abraham had the exact same situation twice, once in Egypt and once with someone named Abimelech. This is not the same guy. This is at least 60 years later. Abimelech means my father is the king. It's, it's a throne name. So every king of the Philistines was called Abimelech. So it's not the same person, same role, different person. 60 years at least has passed from um, Genesis 21 where we read this story about Abraham. So Isaac gets scared. His wife is beautiful. He's afraid they're going to take her and kill him. He lies about uh, Rebecca, says she's his sister. Then eventually Abimelech sees him touching her in a non-brotherly way and says, what's going on? She's your wife. Don't you realize you could have got all of us in trouble? If one of my people in my town thought she was available and took her, married her, and slept with her, do you realize what would have happened? That would have brought guilt on our entire community. Abimelech is not happy with him at that point. And Isaac, just like his father Abraham, gave the same reason. I was afraid for my life if I told you the truth. So you see here some parallels between there's a famine in the land. Abraham went to Egypt once. Um, Isaac's told to stay. And you kind of see the way that plays out. You have a very similar dynamic between father and son. Now, side note, I wonder if Abraham, I think the answer is no, if Abraham ever told Isaac about his experience in Egypt or his experience with Abimelech. I don't necessarily know that that's dinner table conversation. Hey, Sarah, remember that time we went to Egypt and I told him you were my sister and Pharaoh brought you into his harem? It was great. I don't know that that's something that you talk about while you're eating supper, but Isaac was 40 when he got married. There's plenty of time for Abraham to pull him aside and say, hey, here's an area where I blew it. Here's a place where I struggled. Here's a a landmine that I stepped on, not once, but twice. And I just want you to know, nature, nurture, inherited, learned, it's all mixed up to me. We are a product of our environment, and we're a product of what we inherit from our spiritual parents and our biological parents. All of that stuff mixes in to form us and shape us into the people that we are. And I don't know how to differentiate one from the other, but I do know it's helpful if we're willing to share the places where we've struggled, particularly the places where we've failed, not just the mistakes we've made, but the places where we've failed. If we're, Are you, this is my question, willing to share that with others? I don't know that Abraham shared it with Isaac, my sense is that he didn't, and that's one of the reasons Isaac fell into the same trap that his dad did. It's because his dad never said, son, let me tell you what happened to me. There was a famine, and I went to Egypt, and honestly, I was just scared. Your mother, you may not like to hear this, she was hot at one time, and I was afraid. I was afraid that they would take her, and that they would kill me. I wasn't ready. And it happened to me again. I said I would never do it again, and it happened to me again. And I just want you to know about that. You see all of the ways God blessed me. You can see it. We are rich beyond measure. I've got status and influence. God has blessed us in so many ways. But I want you to know this is my Achilles heel. This is the place. I didn't just make a mistake. I sinned. I lied. 
because I was more concerned about protecting myself than I was protecting your mom. What if he had told that to Isaac? I don't know that things would have played any different, but maybe they would have for him. And so my question to you, do you, will you share not just your mistakes, but your failures? Jesus talks about not casting our pearls before pigs, so it's not that you've got to broadcast to everybody. But is there anybody, those of you who are parents, when it's age appropriate, will you be willing to share with your children, again, not just the places where you made mistakes, but the places where you struggled mightily, the places where you sinned, the places where you failed. Again, when it's age appropriate, when they're mature enough in life, would you be willing to share that with them and say, here are the landmines that I stepped on in high school. Here are the landmines I stepped on when I was in college. Here are the landmines that I stepped on my first few years of marriage. I'm not telling you that you're going to experience these things, but I just want you to know, thankfully, I live to tell about it. And if you can avoid stepping in the, on these things, then let me help you. All of you have influence with someone, personally or professionally. Do you ever share? Are you the person that takes the new guy out to lunch on their first week? Or do you say he can figure it out on his own? I had to figure it out. He can figure it out. Is your heart to say the things where I've blown it, I've blown it, and I've, I just assume nobody else blow it where I did. So anyone who, who, has, who I have influence with, I'm going to share those things with them as it is appropriate. Again, it's not pearls before swine where you're broadcasting things to people who don't care and don't want to know and are not going to use that information in any kind of constructive way. But with people that you have influence over, are you willing to share the places, again, not just your mistakes but your failures, the places where you struggle, your Achilles heel? Will you share that professionally and personally with other folks? Just a question. Verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. We'll stop there. So like father, like son, they both had the same weakness in their faith. Like father, like son, they were both blessed tremendously by God, materially. Isaac, the same year he planted, he, he got back a hundredfold. Like, that doesn't happen. Massive miracle there. Obviously, God's hand upon him. So he was rich in terms of crops, and then just like his father, he was rich in terms of livestock and in terms of servants. So by the measures of wealth, just like his father, Isaac was also rich. And we already looked. God confirmed to Isaac all of the promises that he made um, to his father Abraham. You're going to have descendants. There's going to be a nation. You're going to have this land. And through you all nations on the earth will be blessed. Those three major blocks of promises that God gave to Abraham. He reiterates those same promises to Isaac. So again we have like father like son. Verse 14. Isaac had so many flocks and herds and servants. That the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug. In the time of his father Abraham. The Philistines stopped up filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, you become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. That's kind of a way of reclaiming those wells. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. 
So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over it, or quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it, so he named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked him, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement with us between us and you. Let's make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm just as we did not harm you but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you're blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning the the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them away and they went away peacefully. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba and to this day the name of of the town has been Beersheba. So again, just like his father, Isaac has issues with the servants of Abimelech. And everything has to do, they're jealous of him because of all he has, and they're threatened by him because of all that he has. Same thing happened with Abraham. You've got the same dynamics playing out. So Abimelech kicks Isaac out. He says, you've got to leave. There's not enough room for us and you. It's interesting later, he says, we've, already, we've always treated you well. We sent you away in peace. Well, kind of. You, you kicked him out of the land. If they're taking your wells and filling them in with dirt and you have livestock that need to drink, it's an act of aggression. They're running them out. But Isaac leaves. He chooses to move, digs another well. They want it. He gives it to them, moves farther away, digs another well. They want that one. He concedes, moves farther away, finally finds a place where they won't bother him any longer. And then he calls that place Rehoboth um, because he says the Lord's made room for us. That's what Rehoboth means, room wide, spacious, that idea. And so what you see there is Isaac, just like his father, I would say, they both have a weakness when it comes to their their sense of uh, security. When it comes to their protection, very difficult for them to trust the Lord. And they take matters into their own hands and they lie about their wives. But when it comes to the land, they both have a tremendous amount of faith. If If their kryptonite is the protection, their superpower is the land. With Abraham, when he had a choice with Lot, he said, Lot, you pick first. I'll take whatever's left over. It's a tremendous amount of faith. God has said, I'm going to give you this land. And what Abraham says to his younger nephew is, you pick first and I'll take the leftovers. What we see here with Isaac, again, every time he moves, to me, that's an expression of faith. Rather than fighting and saying, this is what God has given me, he says, I'm going to trust that God's going to give me land and so I'm going to move. I'm going to choose to give God space to work this out, whether that's kindness or generosity or hospitality. It, it, underlying all of that to me is, is Isaac's faith in God that he can provide land for him that he's already promised. So again, he and his father seem to have the same kryptonite. They also seem to have the same superpower when it comes to their faith. And so then Abimelech, just like with Abraham, realizes this is not a guy I want to be on the wrong side of. God has obviously blessed him. He's massively rich. He's powerful, so let's make a treaty just to make sure he never... We, we just want to make sure that we're friends and that he doesn't 
uh, cross us at all. So Isaac, after initially saying, why are you here? You ran me out of town. Again, he shows grace and hospitality, enters into the treaty. And just like with Abraham, his father, he winds up in this place, Beersheba, and that's where he lives. So he and his dad wind up settling in the same place. So like father, like son, again, I want to pick up on this idea of faith and spend a little time looking at it. Again, I think with Isaac and with Abraham, you see similarities. That's the point of the way Genesis 26 is written, is to draw parallels. It doesn't take a genius to see those. Moses wants us to see, hey, they're a lot alike. Their faith in terms of where it's strong and their faith in terms of where it's weak. I look, you could come up with more probably, but I came up with these 12 different areas in Abraham's life where he had an opportunity to exercise faith. This is not exhaustive. I just skim back through the chapters, and this isn't exhaustive for you. You can probably think of areas in your own life that aren't on this wheel. This was just to get us thinking in that direction. So again, faith, it's, it's standing on the chair. It's basing life decisions around what God has said. It's trust. It's active. That's what we're talking about with faith. We're not talking about what we think. We're not talking about how we feel. We're talking about basing our life around what God has said. It's always, there's always an obedience element to faith. That's what demonstrates that I'm actually trusting God. So we'll just walk around the wheel really quick. Protection, we said that was kryptonite for both Abraham and Isaac. That's their personal safety. That seems to be, particularly looking at Abraham's life, that's the one that he struggles with. He hits a home run on everything else, but for whatever reason, when it comes to his personal safety, it's very difficult for him to trust that God's going to protect him. So he takes matters into his own hands by lying about Sarah to Pharaoh, by lying about Sarah to Abimelech. Isaac does the same thing, lying about Rebekah to Abimelech. Provision, uh, we see that with Abraham. There was a time in Genesis 13 where a king wanted to give him money, and Abraham said, no, I don't want it. I don't want anybody to say they made me rich. Only God is going to enrich me. There's faith there. God had promised to bless him, and Abraham said, okay, I'm going to take God at his word. I'm not going to take this money that I could because I did something for this guy, and he's offering it to me. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to give God the opportunity to bless me. Place, that has to do with where they're going to be. Land, we talked about that. That was for Abraham, Very that was a superpower for him. Same thing for Isaac, that God was going to plant them in this land, although they had no foothold at all. Everything about the land said somebody else lives here. There were people, excuse me, there were godless people all through the land and they still trusted that God would put them there to the point that Abraham bought a tomb in the land for his wife and where he was ultimately buried as well. Purpose, that ties back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that, that initial promise, I'm going to make you a nation, your, your name is going to be great, I'm going to give you this land, you're going to... Um, you're going to bless. You're, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations on the earth. That was Abraham's purpose. That was his calling, and he based his life around that. He moved hundreds of miles away from his family, with his wife and with his nephew Lot, to say, "I'm pursuing this purpose that God has said to me." Spouse, we don't see that with Abraham. He's already married when we see him, but we see it with his son Isaac. If Isaac doesn't get married, the promises of God are done. They don't extend beyond the first generation, and Abraham, when he's old, says, hey, I need to find a wife for my son Isaac, sends his servant on what to me looks like a pretty blind errand. Hey, I want you to go back to my family, and I want you to bring me a girl to marry Isaac. And the servant, being logical, says, 
what if she doesn't want to come? She doesn't know you, and she doesn't know him, and she doesn't know me. Who's going to give their daughter away under those circumstances? And what does Abraham say? Don't worry about it. God's got somebody picked out. She'll come. And she does. It's Rebecca. She does come. He has faith when it comes to a spouse. Children, having them, conceiving. That gets a promise at 75, works until, or waits till he's 100 in order to conceive. Isaac, a couple of stumble, one stumble along the way with Hagar. But in general, he remains faithful to say God's going to provide a child through Sarah. Children with their life, not just conceiving them. He does that with Isaac. He puts him on the altar, his only son. God says, put him on the altar and sacrifice him. And Abraham says, okay. And according to the writer of Hebrews, Abraham reckoned that God would raise Isaac from the dead. God stopped him before he went through with the sacrifice. But you see there, Abraham trusting God with the life of his children. His future, that's different to me than purpose. Purpose really has to do with calling and his future oriented. But again, he had a family and he had land. He had a, there was a, there was a life set for Abraham. You were basically born into your life at that point. There wasn't a lot of mobility And Abraham left all of that when God said, I want you to move. So he left behind the future that would have been determined for him just by virtue of the fact that he was Abraham and his father was Haran and this was the way things worked. He left all of that to allow God to shape his future. Um, He exercised faith in terms of his influence with God, Sodom and Gomorrah. He negotiates with God, bargains with him. Hey, there's ten righteous people. Let's not destroy the city, he exercised his faith. Or if you don't like that word influence, think of the word position. He recognized his position before the Lord and he acted based on that. Same thing with others. If you don't like that word influence, use the word position. We see that with Abimelech. He formed a treaty. We see that with Lot, his nephew. We see that Abraham takes advantage in a good way of his position with other people. He understands who God has called him to be. He understands what his role in his region is and he's willing to play that even if it means uh, forming a treaty with this pagan king healing we that one's easy to miss when he's in Abimelech's house God causes all of the women to be barren he doesn't want nobody can have any kids and before he's leaving Abraham prays for everybody and so then the women are able to conceive again now Abraham stays in that area he doesn't leave he stays under Abimelech's authority he stays in that same region and he's just prayed for all of the women to be able to have kids again. Now, if they don't, they're coming after him. So it's not like he prayed and ran. And there's obvious, there's very clear responses to that prayer. Either there's going to be kids or there's not. And Abraham believed that God would do that in him. So all of these different areas are places where Abraham exercised his faith. And my question for you, you already know it's coming. Where's your superpower? Where's your kryptonite? Where's the place where you would say, I trust that God's going to work? Even if you say, my faith is weak, well, find the one that's the least weak. What's the thing that you're the least bad at? That's your superpower. What's the one that you would say, I I don't just believe God can, I believe God will. Most likely it's because you've experienced that in your past. For me, just it's the provision thing. That's an easy one for me to believe God for. The first three years of our marriage, if you looked at our W-2, we made less money than we spent every year. And we we didn't have a savings account, so we didn't take anything out of our savings account, and we didn't put anything on our credit card. We had a three-year miracle 
that was confirmed every year by the IRS. I don't understand it. The expenses for my tuition for school and our expenses to live, we were not extravagant, but they were more than what we made. And we always had enough without borrowing, without begging, without stealing. And I don't know how. One time we uh, took a trip to Argentina, a mission trip. We led some kids to this to Argentina. It cost several thousand dollars. And so we were trying to figure out where did we come up with that. And we got down and we were $300 short and we needed it. And we came home one night. We had our apartment was old. as a 1950s apartment. It had a mail slot in it. And we opened the door and someone had shoved $300 of cash through the mail slot. We never asked anybody. Nobody knew what we needed. Kim makes fun of me because I like to check the mail here. And the reason I like to check the mail... It's because I used to get money in the mail all the time. All the time. Every week somebody sent me money. And we never asked anybody for anything. So we have three years of God taking care of us. And so it's easy for me to look at you and say, God's going to take care of you. It's easy for me as the pastor of this church to not sweat if our finances are, are tight. Because I have a track record of He provides. That can be scary for some people because my... Red light is probably, it takes more to get me nervous than other people, which can be upsetting if you're in a corporate group. But we'll talk in a minute about how that can be helpful. So what's yours? What's the place where you're like, I I know God can. More important, I know He will. This is an area where in my life I've seen Him. And it might not be on the wheel. Yours might be something else. But I want you to name your faith. Superpower. That sounds corny. I want you to do it. It's easy for us to focus on the places where we need to grow. Sometimes it's difficult for us to actually look and say, this is a place of strength for me. This is something God has done in me. This is a place where I, where I have grown. It's the gift that God has given me that I can then give to the body. So what is it for you? And then the same thing is, what's your kryptonite? For me, this may sound silly, it's place. That's the one that's the hardest for me, particularly when it comes to this church. I hate that we rent. I want something that's ours. It drives me crazy that somebody else is in control of our space because what if they decide they don't like us anymore? Then what are we supposed to do? It drives me crazy that we have to rent the back parking lot, that it's not ours. I want it to be ours. But I don't want it to be ours because of faith. I want it to be ours because of fear. And you could see how I could hijack this whole thing and we could spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars because I'm afraid. That God's not going to give us a place, so I'm going to get us one. And so we lock in on something and say, well, now it's ours and I don't have to worry about anything else, which is silly. Because now I've got to worry about a lot else, and it doesn't mean anything. Am I trusting God to provide a place for us? Again, that may seem like such a small one for you, but for me, that's an area where, that's kryptonite for me. When it comes to our church, it's the fact that our place is not, it's out of our control which can make me nervous. And I want something that's ours at times. It's one of the reasons we signed a long-term lease was because of me and the fact that I didn't want to to protect against that fear in me. To say, no, God has called us to the square, and so we're going to lock in here for 10 years because I know me and my tendency to say, let's find something permanent. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. Really what that says is let's find something permanent so I don't have to trust God with that anymore. And so let's, I've given, I've taken that off the table. I have to trust Him because we have a lease. So what is it for you? Don't pick 
ten. Don't pick three. Pick one. What's the one up there that for you is kryptonite? It's very difficult for you to believe that God's actually going to come through. It's very difficult for you to base your life decisions around what, around what you know to be true in that area. Now, what does it look like to be in the body when we each have, a crypt, we each have kryptonite and we each have a superpower? It's actually wonderful. We talked earlier about small group leaders. One of the reasons we want you in relationship, and life-giving relationship, for us, the primary expression of small groups, is because none of us have perfect faith. Not even Abraham, the father of our faith, had perfect faith. So what we need is we need to be in a body where somebody who is in the group with me, their superpower is place. And so they can say to me, don't. You're moving into fear there. You're getting upset about that's not even reality for us. If you're trying to control something that's beyond your ability to control, you need to just rest. Let me tell you how God's taking care of me in this area. And I can say to somebody who sweats their, whether they're going to pay the bills, whether God's going to come through, they look at their bank statement or their bank account every night before they go to bed just to make themselves feel better. I can say, listen, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you 20 stories about the way God can take care of you very practically and very tangibly. It doesn't mean you get steak. Sometimes you eat hot dogs, but you always get to eat. And let me tell you what that looks like. That's the power of being in a body. That's why it's important to me for you to know this is the area where I'm strong. Some of you, it is no sweat at all for you to believe God to heal. We need you on our ministry teams because there are people coming forward every week who are going... I got this and I don't know. I don't know. And it gives you an opportunity to pray for them and to kind of lend them your faith because some of us need to borrow it at times. We're going to close with this, moving in a different direction. I was thinking about the names of those places, which I don't want to have to repeat because I butcher them. But there were wells. One was dispute, one was opposition, and then the third one was room. It was spacious. And I was wondering for some of you this morning if that's if you're feeling if there's dispute, there's opposition for wherever it is that you are. And what you really need from God is you need some space. You need him to create some room for you to breathe. I think of what Isaac said. What does he say about this space? He named it once they find people once the Philistines stopped hassling him, he named it Rehoboth, this well. Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. For where you are, if you say, I need some space so that I can flourish. It may be at work. Maybe there's some opposition there. Maybe there's some disputing there. And you need some space. It may be at home. Maybe in your finances. I don't know. Maybe regarding your future. You need some space. We want to pray with you that God would provide that for you. Let me give you two psalms that you can read this week. 18 and 31. You can write those down. Psalm 18 and Psalm 31. Both of those, uh, one of those is written by David. I'm not sure that 31. 18 is written by David. I'm not sure about 31. I can't remember. But both of those are about God providing space in the midst of opposition for people. Here's the, here's the money verse in each one. 18, 19. God brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. It's interesting for some of you to think through. God rescues because he delights in you, not for any other reason. Not because of how good you are or not because of how poor your circumstances are, just because he delights in you. 
and he wants to. Psalm 31, 8, you've not, this is speaking to God. God, you have not handed me over to the enemy, but you have set my feet in a spacious place. For some of you, that's what you need, is you need God to rescue you and put you, give you some room to breathe. And we want to pray with you about that this morning. So Bo's going to come forward. We're going to close with some worship and ministry. Again, we'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. This stuff about faith you may want to press into if you know where your kryptonite is and you know that there's a situation coming up this week where you're going to have to be there in that place where you're, where you're weak. We'll pray for God to strengthen you in that. But also that whole idea, if you need some space this morning, we would love to pray for God to provide that for you. So you all can stand. Ministry teams, if you all can come forward. I'll pray, and then uh, Bo will dismiss us after this song. God, I do thank you. God, I thank you that uh, you've placed us in a body. I thank you for um, the opportunities that we have to encourage and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so I want to pray this morning for those, for each of us. We all have a, we all have kryptonite. When it comes to our faith, we all have an Achilles heel. There's a place, a circumstance where it's difficult for us to trust you. God, I pray that you would highlight that in our minds, that we would know it. And God, that you would show us how to maneuver through those circumstances without creating backup plans and safety nets. That we would not take matters into our own hands in those places but we would trust you. And God, I thank you that for every person in this room, there's there's a place where they exercise great faith. They're champions. They're studs. And God, I pray that they would know that just as much as they know their areas of weakness. Not to lead towards arrogance or pride or, or cockiness, but so that they can lend that faith to others, so that they can pray, so that they can believe, so that they can encourage others in those areas and God I do pray I I believe there's at least a handful here I'm actually thinking there's about 12 here who need space this morning there's dispute and there's opposition and they need you to create space it's interesting Isaac never fought he just moved he gave you an opportunity and so I pray for the people here they would know what does that look like and their circumstances, to give you space, to give them space. So Lord, I pray over these next couple of minutes that you would stir hearts to respond and that you would speak into those situations. Again, show us what does it look like to give you room, to give us room. In Jesus' name.